Since Easter, we've been talking about how the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact, and it is a fact that applies to us, and it not only applies to us that someday after we die, that we get to go to heaven and we get to be resurrected to be with him as well, and that we gather together in funerals and say, well, you know, they're home with the Lord. We do that. We celebrate that. We believe that. But we also believe that the work of resurrection takes place now in this life. We don't have to wait because God brings new life now. And when God brings new life now, we become lives that are really alive. Or, as Christ said it in another translation, he brings us abundant life or life to the fullest and we've been walking through this passage in the, in the first letter from John that has given us some guidance to what that looks like when we have life in Christ. What does that mean and what does it look like? And so we're going to go into John chapter 3 and verses 16 through 24, and that's going to give us some pointers today and some guidance for what life looks like once we have laid aside sin and once we have moved into that new life where God begins to transform and change us, then it brings us to a life where we get to live with confidence. And we'll talk about what that confidence really looks like and what it does in us and what it achieves. So this is what the writer of the letter says. He says, we know that real love is because, sorry, we know what real love is because God gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. I'm just going to stop there for a moment. Because when we start talking about being confident in life, and here's Jesus who was willing to go to the cross because he had this understanding that this isn't the end of it. We need to be reminded that when we say, okay, we're going to do something that's going to cost us for someone else, that is not the end of it. And that the, the story doesn't end there ever with Christ. So we can be confident we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident, there's that word, when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and we do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them, and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So, <clears throat> when it comes to living confidently in Christ, it is possible that now that we have this renewed life that our the guilt and the, the shame and the, the shackles of sin that we have done and things that have been done to us, after those things can be removed and we get to move into life in Christ and it changes us and we start to see things differently and we relate to the world differently, 
it breeds a level of confidence. It just happens. All of a sudden, you just go, you know, I am not that sick, dying being anymore. I'm new. And it's great. But it tends, I think, in some people's lives to lead them to make some really crazy assumptions, maybe even deadly assumptions, that they would do things or assume things that the rest of us would go, what in the world are you doing? This doesn't look normal. It doesn't look wise. It doesn't look like something you should be doing. You know, there's this sense that, you know... Yes, Jesus died for us, and yes, we can be alive in him, and yes, we can even be like him, but we're not Jesus, and that's good. We need to keep a differentiation there. And so we tend to pull back then, and one of the things we do is we would pull back and say, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to be that confident about it because I'm still human, and I know that I have my limits. Or we tend to go to the other extreme and go, you know, I can do anything. So there was a story that came across the newswire a couple of years ago. I went back this week to research it, and it, and it really appears like a fake news thing. Except you know people have done this stuff. So yes, it's kind of a fake news, but maybe it's a parable. But the story had come out of South Africa, which was what caught my attention a couple of years ago. And it was about a, a pastor. And I've got to tell you that in my, the country of my childhood, there are some pastors who are really crazy. I mean, they're just really crazy. You can go and Google it, South African pastors, and you're going to see things where they make people do really crazy things. There's a pastor there who's actually been brought up on charges legally because he was spraying pesticide on the people um, and telling them that this was, you know, going to work miracles. And there was a pastor that was making his people eat rocks and telling them, I'm turning them into bread, but they, you know, they're still rocks. And so this fake news story came out that there was a pastor in South Africa who traveled down to the Kruger National Park, which is a place that we take our teams to go over. Beautiful animals, incredible, uh, untouched, pristine wilderness. And this guy was a pastor, and they were driving along, and they came across a, a pride of lions. And this pastor believed in the story that God was telling him that he should be like Daniel and, you know, Right? jumps out of the car, survives, missing a few pieces. And you just go, what was that? that that's, that's crazy. That is even deadly. The guy, the guy was lucky to survive. But as I researched it, it's probably fake news. But we know people like this, don't we? We know people that go, you know, I think God told me that I'm going to go, you know. And, and they go into circumstances and we just sit back and we go, okay, let's sit back and watch the train wreck happen. If you've ever spent time around someone who's a new Christian and they're so alive and their faith is kind of wild and they want to go back into their circumstances of darkness with this new light, you know what I'm talking about. I've been around some of these people. I've discipled some of these people in my ministry and I had a guy that came to me and he goes, you know, I've got, I'm alive in Jesus now and so I'm going to go back to the bar. And, and this guy was an alcoholic, which, you know, putting those two things together, I was like, I don't think you should do that. But he goes, I'm going to go back to the bar because all those people are lost and they're depressed and they're in there medicating themselves. And, and <laughs> so he told me this. And, uh, you know, a friend of his called me up about a week later and he goes, so, you know, I know something happened with him. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, he came back to the bar and he made everybody mad. I go, really? What did he do? And he goes, well, he came back in and he just started telling us we were a bunch of lousy sinners and 
really got off on doing that. And so I saw him the next week and I said, hey, you know, what, what were you doing there? And, and this guy's life had really been a mess. He had, he'd had a DUI where he hit somebody and hurt them badly and gone to jail for it. And he goes, I just don't want them to go through what I went through. So we began talking about this. And he goes, yeah, you know, so I just, I got in the bar and Jesus just told me I had to say things. And, and I said, well, your buddy was there with you. I said, he said, yeah. And, and he goes, yeah, he, he got me out. And I said, you can't do that, right? This, that's crazy, and it's deadly. And the world around us tends to think of us this way, that you, know, you come to faith in Jesus, and then you guys lose all sanity. Because the world looks at some of the things we do that, that some of us who have lived in faith for a while have, have gotten used to and have become part of our lifestyle. So the world looks at us and they go, you give 10% of every paycheck to the church? You're nuts. You go to church how many times every week? And when you go to church, you spend time changing babies' diapers, then they're not related to you. You're nuts. And, and you go to church and you clean up after an event at 10, 30, 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, and no one asked you to do it. What is wrong with you people? And so, you know, there's this sense that you know, you're doing things that are crazy, but we have this sense that, well, we think we are like Jesus. We have this new life in us, and something has been rewired and remapped inside of us, so we tend to act in different ways. So instead of being callous and indifferent and removed and, and even mean spirit and those things, that gets reordered, and so we start to do things that the rest of the world goes, wow, that's just not smart. Recently, in the last few years, you know, this, this little saying came up in popular culture, YOLO. And there's some things I really don't like about this, because YOLO stands for you only live once. And it's sort of an excuse for, for doing things that are incredibly risky, that you may not survive, but you want to do at one time. Well, you know, you only go around once. And so I'm going to go skydiving, or... You know, so there's things like that that I would not do, but there's things I would do that you would go, Pastor, you're crazy, you know, and why are you doing those things? But here's the thing. As Christians, we don't believe that. We don't believe in YOLO. In fact, we're more like cats. You know where I'm going? Nine lives? Ten, eleven, some of us? Because we go, you know, if God calls us to do these things, we go into a bar and go, you know, I don't know, God told me to tell you to stop drinking, and if you need to punch me, then punch me. But, you know, I, some of us would go, don't do that. But he would say, well, you know, I'm only not here once. I'm, I've had a life, lost it, and I've been reborn. And I will lose this physical life, and I believe I'll be reborn again in another form. And so we don't believe in this YOLO thing. And in fact, we believe that life is defined kind of the other way, that life in Christ is a series of deaths and resurrections. That in this life, there are things that we encounter and we go, okay, that has got to die. Maybe it's something inside of me that doesn't need to live any longer and I've got to learn how to lay that aside or I've got, to, I've got to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, get past the stuff that's really painful and ugly and then move into a new life. And then we live longer, and then we find out, well, there's more there that's got to go. It's got to die. 
And so some of us live with a philosophy that life is a series of crucifixion and resurrection, crucifixion and resurrection. And so every week we observe this cycle where we go through the week and we get to what's Saturday is really the Sabbath day, which was intended to be the day of rest, but we get together on Sunday because Sunday is the day of resurrection. And every week we need to be reminded that things die and God brings them back to life. And it's different. So, if that's true, that our lives can be defined by a series of death and resurrection, death and resurrection, it changes the way we look at things and it in it, it, it sort of imbues us, it, it, it infuses us with a sense of spiritual confidence. And I would just suggest to you that, that as I am talking today and I start talking about confidence, if you want to, in your mind, just try to tell yourself, every time he says confidence, think peace. It it, it infuses us with this sense of spiritual peace that even though I'm facing really rough stuff, something's going to die and resurrection will take place and new life comes. If we can do that, our lives can be a series of showing the power of God. That something can die and it can be laid to rest and we can grieve it and God can pick it up again and he can... Breathe life. So, relationships that died. Or, you know, we're still, we still, you know, we're still friends, but we're not the friends we were. We're still husband and wife, but the love's gone. Well, they're still my kids, but they never talked to me. And something died. And we believe in a series of crucifixion or resurrection, and not just for us, but for anyone who comes to Christ. So that can come back to life. Or there were dreams that we had, and pastor, when I was young, if you'd only known, I was going to go do this, and I was going to, this is what I was going to achieve in life, and I was going to make a difference. And it was robbed from me. And my dreams died, and I would just say, well, you know, let's bury him and see what God births (laughs) in the next dream that looks really different and even more beautiful. You know, for some of us, um, for some of you that are my age and older, we look around and we had all kinds of expectations we heap on our kids. And we go, you know, my kids are going to be the best. I hope, I I know you guys have never said that, but I've done this. My kid's going to be the best. And so then I'm standing behind her at times and I go, yeah, come on, jump. You can do it. Come on, impress everybody. Show them that you're my kid and you're the best. And I know that my parents did this and they came and they cheered me on in all these endeavors. Some of them endeavors they didn't really like, but that's my kid and he's, you know, and they were behind me and they cheered me on and I'd fall on my face and they were like, well, that wasn't the best and maybe that's not what you're going to be in life. And that's not what you're going to achieve. And we grieve that. And we say, okay, God, so then rebirth, an expectation that is wholesome and realistic and is going to bring our kids to where you want them to be. And when we do that, we show the power of God to surrender and confidence and peace. 
And that's what gives us spiritual confidence. So people come to me and they say, well, you're a pastor and you know Jesus, you've followed him for years and you, you all know all this stuff about the Bible and you, 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 know, you studied theology and all this stuff, so you're like this spiritual giant, right? And I will tell you if there is any claim that I have to any kind of spiritual confidence, it is in this, that what dies, God is capable of bringing back to life. That's it. That's it. And so, in that, I want to remind you of these passages from the letter. Because John, as he's writing, he says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. And if the truth is that series of death and resurrection, then the way we look at life and the way we move forward means that we expect, we anticipate that some things are going to die, but we also anticipate that things are going to be resurrected. You see, the world often lives with the expectation that things are going to die, and that's all there is. It's just a series of death and entropy, and things fall apart. But in Christ, we believe that there's, yes, there's death, but there's resurrection. There's something beyond that, and it's incredible. So our actions show that we belong to the truth. We understand this truth, and we live with this truth. So we will be confident at peace when we stand before God. So when you go, okay, God, just like... Like a few of you stood here today and all of us have probably done this at some point in time where we stand before God and we go, this is a mess. This is not good and this is not where I want to live. But God, you bring new life in death. And so I don't have to be overwhelmed by the circumstances of my life. Instead, I can stand with confidence before you. Not just that I'm not ashamed of my sin, but when I stand before you, you look at me and you give me peace and you advocate for me and you change these things. So jump ahead to verse 21 and John says this, Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, skin, sin is taken care of, our skin is taken care of too, but we can come to God with Bold confidence. I mean, that's like huge letters flashing at us. So it's not just we come to God with confidence, but there's this overwhelming sense that we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be victims any longer. We do not need to cower in a corner because life is going to hand us more than we can handle. And so our confidence allows us to stand and move forward. Bold confidence is what John says. And then in 22 and 23, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. I just want to stop there because I'm going to go back to that crazy assumption thing at the beginning because this is what some of our brothers and sisters in Christ have done. So if I have this new life in Christ, and Christ is that powerful, and he can do these kinds of things, then I'm going to ask him for wild things. Now, wild, okay. Unreasonable, maybe not so sure. Because then there are people who are asking God for things, and they're asking God for things coming from a heart that remains corrupted. And when we do that and we go, okay, God, here's what I want you to do. I've been a lousy employee. I've never met the deadlines. I argue with my boss. I don't show up on time. But I really want that promotion. So, work a miracle, Jesus. And here's the thing. We will receive, but there's these conditions of 
obedience and doing the things that please God. So if we've been displeasing God and not doing things that honor him and then expect that God is all of a sudden going to go, it's all good, and it doesn't happen, we tell the world that God can't be trusted. We make crazy assumptions that then tell the world that God isn't there. He's not at work. So we have to remember that our lives renewed in Christ look different, honor him, obey him, please him. And then, this is the commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So I I just have this crazy notion that if we have this really strong faith that Jesus will do great things through us, around us, and even to us, and we go to extraordinary lengths to love one another and care for one another, that he will actually bring new life. So spiritual confidence. How can we show the power of God? Well, first of all, we can show the power of God by, not, by no longer living in shame. And I, I keep hitting this, I know, but we do things that we shouldn't do. We say things we shouldn't say. We regret them. We post stuff on Facebook, and then we go, delete, 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 and we can't delete it fast enough. We come home from work, and we're tired, and we kind of snip at each other. And then we sit there and we go, why did I do that? I would rather be with this person than any of the people I work with. But we no longer should live in shame when we are forgiven. And I, I think this is really crucial for us as Christians because one thing the world hungers for is for a way to get away from the stuff that hangs on us, our guilt. So if we have no shame but forgiven, and then the truth lives in us and we stand in the truth, we walk in the truth as we read earlier in this series, then there is no place for fear in our lives. Now this doesn't mean that we just become ridiculous wild people who are not paying attention to what's going on around because truth means we know what's going on. But when we are a hold of the truth, we have no fear. I gotta tell you this story. I took two young men with me on a team to Africa. These are brilliant young men, and one of them just uh, got into med school. He's in the armed forces, and um, I just found out yesterday at our board meeting that he got in, and the armed services have awarded him a full-ride scholarship to med school and commissioned him as a lieutenant. So he's going to go to med school not only with no debt, but he's going to get paid. Well, he's there, and he's on his way to becoming a surgeon. He's an incredibly brilliant and wonderful young man and has a, a faith that is just growing. And is, it, it's not what it's going to be, but it's growing. And he brought a friend of his, another very intelligent young man that was preparing to go into medicine. And we were sitting there one night, and we were talking because when I take a team over, one of the things we do... Uh, that I, one of those crazy things we do is we pray every morning and we pray every night because we do not know what's going to happen between those times. And there are certain things that we go through over there that I just stop the team and I go, okay, we're getting ready to go do this, so everybody pray. Let's just stop and gather up and you guys pray because this is a kind of a tentative situation and we don't know how things are going to turn out and we want them to turn out right, so let's pray. So we pray. And so we pray when we cross the border. We pray when somebody comes in with a complicated birth. We pray when we get up in the morning and we don't know yet what the day's going to have or we get ready to go to bed and we don't know what the night's going to have. 
And these two, they said, we got a question for you. So one night I, I sat down with them. <clears throat> and I knew, you know, when guys that are this intelligent that have packed that much into their brains start to say, we've got questions, oh boy, we're going to get into some deep water. But we sat down, and these two guys, they said, we got a question for you. You pray about all these things. Do you really believe that when you pray, it makes a difference that God actually does something? And so we went into this conversation about theology and about truth. And, and I go, here's, here's the thing. He, and he goes, when we cross the border and you say, you know, we've got to go through customs. We've got to get visas. There are people standing all around looking to steal stuff from us. And I'm not, I am not um, overemphasizing that. And you, get, you ask us to pray, do you really think God stops them from stealing from us and gets us visas in case we get hung up and all these things? And I said, well, I don't know about that. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if God has ever stopped somebody's hand from grabbing my money or caused the guy behind the counter to go, yeah, I'll give you a visa today or any of that. I don't know that that has changed. But I said, here's the truth that I know. At any moment in that whole process, there are about a thousand things that could go wrong. And praise God, to this point, it never has. And then I said, and then here's a truth that I just take with me away from that. I said, when I stop before I go into those circumstances, when we stop before we go into the valley and say, okay, God, you've got to go with us, it changes me. And then I go in there and I'm not upset. I'm not looking for a thief in every other person I talk to. I don't go in and shake and quiver at the counter thinking we may not be able to go in the country and we spend all this money for nothing. It changes me and I get to go in confident. Remember, confident equals peace. And then I can go in and say, hey, how are you doing? And I don't look like I'm suspicious. I don't look like a threat. I don't look like a mark. Not because I'm really wise and street savvy, but because I have peace with Jesus Christ and I have enlisted him because this is what he wants done more than I do. So in truth, and in truth in place of fear. As I say that, I know some of you are going, Pastor, that's great, but you don't know my circumstances. You don't know what it's going to be like tomorrow morning. I don't, but God does. And God wants to do something there. And then John, as he writes this epistle, he puts these three things together. If we obey God, believe in him, and love one another. There's this, this kind of this three-step pattern. Obey God, believe, and love. Oh my goodness, what might happen? And so that leads me to this. It has to do with our approach and our action with God. You see, if, we, if the sin stuff is dealt with, we no longer live in shame, and the obedience and trust stuff is out in front. I'm going to obey God, and I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to trust, and I'm going to listen. I'm going to ask him to intervene. If that's out in front of us, so the sin stuff's behind us, the, the trust and obedience stuff is ahead, is out in front of us, and the love for other stuff is inside of us, we become virtually unstoppable. And then we are confident. Now, I'm going to go back to the guy, that, that the fake story about the guy that jumped out with the lions and they bit him. Let's change that story up a little bit. 
Let's change that story up a little bit. Let's, let's say that somebody we love, somebody that God brought into our life and we considered that a gift, accidentally wandered out where the lions were. And so now, I, I'm not overwhelmed by shame that robs me of any confidence and sense of any, of, of any power or capability. The sin is behind me. But this person is walking into a situation that's going to kill him. And I obey God and I trust him and I know God does not want them there. And if God has called me to work on his behalf as his instrument and I'm paying attention and I trust him and then as I watch them walking over there, my love for them is overwhelming You know what I would do? I know it's crazy. I'd jump out of the car. I'd go back there and I'd go, get out of there. Come on. And something in me would go, you know, two people are better than one and I'm getting older and you can run faster than me (laughs) or something like that. So here's a story I want to end with. Years ago, my mom and dad were still on the mission field, and some friends of ours had invested in a little game reserve that borders Kruger Park, and, and uh, they had a little cabin there and a place to get away. And they called my mom and dad and said, hey, we're going to go down for the weekend. Why don't you join us? So mom and dad said, we'll come. They had some things going on that delayed them, and they got there a little bit late. And uh, so our friends, uh, Mike and Ruth were already there, and, and Mike and Ruth have a couple of girls that are now grown. They were young kids at the time. And um, they got there, and they got out of the car, and the, Mike and Ruth and the girls were already doing some things around the camp, and Mike said, hey, let's go for a walk. And, and Mom said, okay, you know, I'll go with you. And Dad said, I've got to take care of some stuff at the car. So Mom and the girls and Mike started going for a walk, and he said, there's a, you know, there's a river down here. Let's walk, and we can look out over the river and see if there's any animals down by the river. And they're walking along, and, and all of a sudden, Mike, who is a, he's a pediatric surgeon, which helps, all of a sudden, Mike says, hey, you guys, just stop for a minute. And they stop. They go, what? What's going on? He goes, just stop. Let's just stand here for a minute. And they stood there, and he goes, Hey, guys, let's all take three steps backwards really quietly. And my mom's like, what? And he goes, no, really quietly. Let's all just take three steps. So they took like three steps backwards. And he goes, okay, yeah, that was really good. Just keep doing that, okay? And you know, his girls never once said, why, Dad? And he goes, okay, let's just keep walking backwards, walking backwards. And mom was sitting there going, what's going on? And as they walked back a few feet, two lioness just walked across the path in front of them. And my mom related that story, and she goes, you know, Mike was just, he was, he was just so calm. And he just said, hey, guys, let's just stop for a second. But he had seen or he'd heard them in the grass. I don't know why. I, I don't know what alerted him. But in that moment, he goes, hey, let's just take three steps backward. Okay, a few more. Let's just keep backing up. And those lions were like, not interested You know what I think God wants? He wants some of us to be guys like that. He wants us to be men and women who are walking along and just in calm confidence say to the people around us, hey, you know what, let's, let's just stop here and maybe turn around or turn this direction. Let's not go that way. Why? What's wrong? 
And instead of going, here's everything that is wrong with you guys, to say, but wait, wait, let's go this way and trust that somehow God will open their eyes and go, you know, if I had gone down that path, it would have killed me. So my prayer for us is this. God, help us to be the kind of followers and believers in you that have this new life. And a new life that not only just frees us so it feels good, and not only a new life that says, okay, you know, I can now have this Holy Spirit inside of me so I'm, I'm, I'm not prone to getting into the things where I don't belong, but also this new life so that those around me, that I see things and I can alert them and I can say in that wonderful, gentle voice, hey, let's go this way. Forgive us, God, when we think that the only way people will hear us is by yelling. Forgive us, God, when we think the only way people will hear you is if we yell. (laughs) Remind us that your spirit is so powerful and your voice is so compelling that it only takes a whisper. Remind us that confidence in you equals peace so that we don't have to say, let's get up and beat the drum and, and shake everybody by their lapels, but instead, God, let us say, show us how to love them and alert them to change the way of our approach, the direction we're going, and our action, how we do that. And then God, use us so that as we walk the path of life, that it is always under your navigation. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on up, band. Let's sing together.